Welcome back to the program. Game four tonight, Emily Arena, Tampa. Looks to pull even with the Colorado Avalanche. Speculation about Nazem Kadri. Dollars of Donuts says, I'm guessing he's in, but we'll see. No Braden Point again for the Tampa Bay Lightning, but has not been ruled out for the series. Kucherov and Paul, according to head coach Sean Cooper, are good to go, as is our next guest. He is Mike Rupp, former Stanley Cup champion and now uh, analyst with the NHL Network, uh, who joins me now. Rupper, how are you today, pal? I'm doing good, Jeff. How are you, bud? Uh, I'm good. Uh, man, there's a lot of things here today, whether it's uh, coaches or awards um, or the Stanley Cup final. Let, let, let me let me ask you to order off the menu here. Where would you like to begin? Do you want to do awards? Do you want to do coaches? Do you want to do the game? Choice is yours. Um, let's go. Let's go game. Let's go, let's go game. Let's go game four, what we can expect. Okay, so let's do that. So take us back to 2003 and your game four. Well, so that series, I was uh, a black ace in the entire playoffs. And I actually, the first game I got in was game four. So, um, you know, it was 2-1 Jersey. Uh, We were up 2-1 over over, uh, the Ducks. And, you know, it's just it, you try to get your feel for the series for me, so it's a little bit different now. But I think what we've seen in this is we always know in all sports that play seven-game series how pivotal a game four is. Like, that's it's pretty evident, right, that a 3-1 is is something and 2-2 is completely something else. And, and, and that just it's the same thing right now. Like, it, right now, Colorado's in a great spot, clearly, on the series. But also the way the game three went, um, you know, I was watching, I was sitting there on uh, set and we got a great view at Emily Arena where we're just, we're in the bowl and we got a great sight lines of, of the ice. And uh, I remember Mike Johnson and uh, Justin Williams were next to me and we're watching the game. And it's like, as this game's going on, does Tampa have life? 100%. The place was buzzing. The team had a lot more. They, they made a real attempt and paid attention to just getting shots on net and from anywhere. I mean, they were shooting from everywhere, I feel like, in that game. And uh, really given Darcy Kemper his first test of the series. But with it being said, there's a lot of things. That was not a 6-2 hockey game. Like, there was a lot of categories and a lot of ways that Colorado still was doing their thing. And it maybe wasn't as dominant as games one and two, but it still felt like the they made their their mark on the game and very easily mm-hmm. could have won that game. Uh, Vassy was a factor. He's going to have to continue to be. I don't know. He's going to have to steal something here at some point, you know, and, and, and he's going to have to be great for, for Tampa to come back. So I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer on uh, Tampa. They, they was great. That was a building block because through two games, I was sitting there thinking, I don't they, – they legitimately do not have a building block in place right now. They've got, they've got nothing after two games. They don't even have line combinations. Have, it wasn't like in the third period of game two, they started getting some, some chemistry with some guys and you had something. I mean, they were starting from scratch for game three. So I give them a ton of credit. So my only concern was six, two. All right, we're back. Uh, we've been in this position before, but this team's different in Colorado. And it's not, it's going to be harder. We should be. It's a Stanley Cup finals. But I, I loved, loved Jeff post game, Steven Stamkos. Cause it's, it's one thing. I've been on teams like that. I was on New York Rangers where we're, we're running for the president's trophy. Uh, we ended up losing that year to, to Vancouver for the president's trophy. But 
when you're a legit, when you're a, a good team and you win games uh, nights when you shouldn't, that's what good teams do. But sometimes you can get a blurred vision of what is actually happening in a six, two game. You can start thinking, all right, we're back. But Steven Stamkos post game was like, you know what? We, it, it was better, but we got a lot of things we still got to get better at and fix. And I love that because if you got to bring everybody back down to earth real quick and, and that, you know, you date back to 2003, there's no better guy to bring everybody back down to earth than Pat Burns and say those things, bring you back down. We had leadership in that room. Tampa, as long as they know that that is, if they continue to play like they did in game three, they will not win the series. And I'm saying that in like a, a, a positive way for them because mm-hmm. they can just take a next step. They need that next building block in place here in game four. Let me, uh, and we're talking to Mike Rupp, let me pick up that conversation with Steven Stamco. So since the beginning, really of the season, um, for me, Steven Stamkos has been the go-to interview after games, and it's really pronounced in the playoffs, where last season was all about, you know, let's get Kucherov in front of a microphone. Now, to me, the most interesting things are said on a consistent basis by Steven Stamkos, and this is someone who's... You know, had a uh, a challenging year. I know that they're, so first of all, he's had a really good year, but I mean, a mentally challenging year with a disappointment of the NHLers not going to Beijing. Um, you know, you never want to be, you know, the the greatest player to, to never represent his country at the Olympics, but that may happen here with, with Steven Stamkos, or one of the best players to never represent his country internationally at the Olympics. Um, but Stamkos, to me, has become one of the more thoughtful interviews of anybody after every single game. Like, it's at the point where I'm just like, okay, cross your fingers, captain's talking. Cross your fingers, captain is talking. You have a thought or two on, on Steven Stamkos, not just the player, because we know about the player and the shot and that passing play with Palat in game three, which was brilliant for the third goal. But Steven Stamkos, the captain, and Steven Stamkos, the interview. Yeah, he's great. And and the thing I, I like about it, too, and we always see it in hockey, and that's why we love getting the people that give you a little bit more, pull back the curtain a little bit more. We've got some really good coaches, I think, that are starting to really do that. We're starting to see more players do it. But from this standpoint of, like, if you have standard captain talk post-game, we all know pretty much what's going to be said. And let's even look at it from the player standpoint. You know, if if Stammer came out last game and was just, uh, you know, at the end of this uh, game three and just said, well, you know, it's it's one game. We know uh, our, our focus is on the next one. That that's just that's gonna just fall off everyone's back like nothing. Even the players on his team, if they're seeing those, hearing those, reading them on social, whatever. But when you have a, a a guy that pulls it back a little bit, the curtain, and lets people in, like now he's speaking real to everyone. He's speaking real to the fans, the masses, the players on his team. Yeah, it wasn't good enough. We won't win playing like that. But it, it's a step. It's much better than what it was. I love that because we don't get that all the time. I don't know if it's because mm. John Cooper and what way he is. I mean, these two coaches in the finals now are uh, outside of letting you know injury news, which I don't think any coach <laughs> is going to do. Uh, yeah. They're pretty good. Like, they really let you in on some stuff. So I'm, I, I like it when a captain, you got you know, he's got to still say the right things, but say the appropriate things. And not saying the appropriate things, I think, in the situation the Stammer's in right now, 
I think it could have a trickle-down effect, and it could just be like, oh, we're doing enough. We won 6-2, and, and, and I love it. He's, he's been a great interview, and just watching him grow over his career, he's, he's an awesome leader. Hey, Mike, you know what's great about hockey? Tonight, you know, it looks like Nazem Kadri is going to play. We know he has a thumb injury, and in hockey, the players are so respectful that I'm sure that all of Tampa, probably led by Corey Perry, are going to completely stay away from Nazem Kadri's thumb. Yeah, I mean, you talk about leadership. I'm sure Corey Perry's saying, "Hey, boys, you know what? This guy's this guy's a good soldier. Let's let's just play him straight up." You know? Uh, yeah, I mean, hey, if Nas is able to go, if Nas is able to go, uh, he'll be challenged in areas. Um, yeah. You know, you're gonna finish your hit. You're gonna finish your hit on him. I mean, I don't know. I I've always I thought it would when Braden Point's coming back. It's like. You don't sit there. I've never been inside a locker room, and this is the truth. Never has someone been like, hey, this guy has a high ankle sprain. Let's hurt his ankle. Like, go after his ankle. No. But challenge him. Hit him. You know, do everything you can to make life miserable for him to see if that ankle's good enough to play. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just playing good hard hockey. So if Nas is playing, I don't, you know, I, I, Especially nowadays, you got camera angles everywhere. I just never, I've really never seen someone be like, I'm going to slash this guy's thumb because he's hurt. But does that mean, you know, if you get him in the corner and you start, you know, and you're got him up against the boards and you're leaning on him and pushing him and hitting him and doing that, yeah, you're going to do all that. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Nas is able to go a, I mean, I, I certainly, most, most certainly think he'll be playing this round. I, I thought that the entire time. He's tough as nails. But I'm interested uh, what he can do with that thumb. You know, uh, it's – I don't know if the face-off game is going to be for him. I don't yeah, know I if, how the board battles are going to be. Uh, it's one thing to skate around and pass pucks and maybe even shoot a couple, flip some on that. It's another thing when you get in the battles of playoff hockey. So we'll have to see how that goes. But he'll be challenged, that's for sure. Yeah. The, the only reason I bring it up is I just I, I can just recall how – and Josh Mansley did a number on him, how, how Avalanche players went after Dreisaitl uh, when it became pretty obvious that that ankle was, and we, it find, turned out you know, eventually that it's a high ankle sprain, um, that he was you know, basically immobile uh, out there on the ice. And Colorado took much delight uh, in making sure that, uh, that Leon Dreisaitl was aware that Colorado knew exactly what the injury was uh, and behaved as such. Um, you know, hey, just want to I just want to add on that real quick. And I know yep. there's like clips going around where the, there's fan bases. Uh, you know, there's clips going around where they're like, oh, they're targeting him. This is my thing, though. They didn't go out there and put him in a, you know, in a sharpshooter or a figure four leg lock. You know, like they didn't, they didn't, they didn't do that. Okay, they went out there. There's nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong with giving him some solid taps on his ankle with your stick. Because it's not you're not you're not baseball. A solid tap like that isn't going to break his ankle, but it's going to annoy yeah. him and it's going to make him think about man, my ankle's sore, <laughs> you know, and maybe hesitate yeah. to do something. So there's a fine line there. And uh, hey, we play a physical game, and guys uh, got to deal with some stuff like that. Let them know you're there. Bleed all over them. Let them know yeah. you're there. Uh, <laughs> let me uh, let me ask you about Darcy Kemper. So he's in the starters crease. All expectations are Darcy Kemper gets the start. Did you entertain the idea after game three that maybe Pravel Francois would come in for game four? No, I didn't think so. I would have, uh, you know, if that was uh, 
if there was a line put out there on some of these sites, I would have uh, told all my buddies to hit that one up. He's going to play, and he was going to play, and we saw him in the starters net this morning. That's your guy. And that doesn't – that's no knock to Pablo Francois, who was, who was really good. Here's my, here's my question, though. I asked Mike Johnson this off air the other day. I go, hey, Johnny, if it wasn't for game four against Edmonton, do you think it would be a different story with Francois right now? And he goes, yeah, 100%. I go, yeah. yeah. Game four, that crazy, that. crazy game, I think kind of was like it, it gave Colorado a little bit of a reminder, like we've had issues before because we've had to go in the playoffs with a non-quote-unquote starter. Okay? So as good as he has been, this was a little bit of a wake-up call. They got it done clearly. They move on. But Darcy Kemper, this is the reason why you got him. Like You went out and you got this guy. And he's been mm-hmm. a solid, solid goaltender for – the regular season, we know how the playoffs have gone. He's been up and down. He just has to be good. And I played with Kemp's in, in Minnesota. Love him. I absolutely love him. I'm concerned because I know how he is as a, a kid. And he's and I call him a kid because that's when I played with him in his first few years. But he's I'm sure he's grown up and matured in a lot of areas. But I, I just hope that in his mind, and I hope – I hope Colorado's told him or the goaltending coach, it's not you versus Vassy. It's not you versus Vassy. You do your job. Be good for us. We've got a great team. That's all he has to do. And I, I don't know. I didn't. I know everybody's talking about his body language when they pulled him. Uh, I I personally, in situations, I don't know. This is how I always am too. In like big situations, maybe the playoff series, when you pull a goal and he's got that long skate in the opposing team's barn uh, and maybe an unproven guy, like maybe just pull him at, you know, at one of the intermissions. I don't know. Maybe find a, a right time just to kind of make it like real subtle. I, I'm con- I, I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't concerned, but Hey, he's got a chance uh, to answer tonight and that's the right call. And we'll see what he does. Uh, okay. So those are the games. Uh, I want to get a quick thought, uh, about some of the coaching, uh, situations that we see around the NHL. The most recent one is Paul Maurice takes over behind the bench, uh, with the Florida Panthers. Uh, before that, Peter DeBoer, uh, named the head coach of the Dallas Stars. Uh, teams that don't have coaches right now that are looking Winnipeg, Detroit, Boston, Chicago. There's still a GM hunt underway. Uh, in San Jose, so looking for their person there. Um, of all the of all the coaching, like I'll, I'll just you know uh, you know uh, leave leave the table open here for you, Rupper. Um, of all the coaching searches that are either ongoing right now or maybe ones that have been concluded, whether it's Tortorella to Philadelphia or Bruce Cassidy to Vegas or Lane Lambert takes over the New York Islanders from Barry Trotz, which one did you find the most interesting? Like, was there one that you looked at and you went? That's a that's an interesting hire, or maybe Detroit's process here. As you know, we strongly suspect they're eyeballing someone, whether it's Derek Lalonde or Jeff Halpern on the Tampa bench. Who knows? Um, maybe it's that that's held your imagination the most. Which one? Which one has already done it for you, or which one does it for you right now, Rupper? Well, the one the one strangest one has been Florida. I think people could probably all agree to because they that whole situation. Whether you know it was it was Quenville being gone, then Brunette taking over, Brunette being a finalist for Jack Adams, and then the way things went in the playoffs, and to everybody to pretty much know a coaching change is coming. It's it's strange, it's weird. We don't see it like that. I mean, I'm not saying it was completely unnecessary because it, it, 
they probably needed a, a little bit. It's just, it's awkward. It's an awkward spot that they found mm-hmm. themselves. Right. And, um, so I will say though that Paul Maurice is is that guy that when I was looking at all the coaches and there's a ton, uh, that was the guy that it, it, and the one there's one spot that I've been paying attention to and I'm really anxious and looking forward to that Detroit job to me is intriguing. That's mm-hmm. an intriguing job. I think this team's going to be a, a very good team. I have two teams that I'm that I'm thinking uh, it's going to be a little bit of an arms race to see who can get better faster because they're in the same uh, same division. But the Ottawa Senators and the Detroit Red Wings, I think, are two up-and-coming teams. They've got some pieces. Uh, I, I thought that that would be a great place in Detroit, I was thinking. I mean, we never really heard Trotz's name around Detroit. Uh, I thought Paul Maurice would be one. Like, one of these guys, like, I just think they need to start – they need to get a – a culture guy that's going to have those expectations instilled in their players every day they go to the rink. But, I mean, if it is what some people are thinking with tied back to Tampa here, I mean, how can you go wrong with that, right, what they've done here in the relationship with Stevie and, and, and those guys. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. It, uh, you know, you've got the uh, the Vegas, Vegas and Cassidy was one that, that – uh, Kind of surprised me right away, and then um, you know it's it's a it's a crazy market. The, the DeBoer one down in in uh, in Dallas. I mean, there, there's a few that could be very promising, or um, they might not be a good fit. To be honest with you, so I don't, I don't know how these are going to go, but uh, yeah. we're still filling those voids, and, and we'll see where everybody else ends up. Here's what I wonder about, because I'm with you, Rupper. I wonder, I, I'm really intrigued by Detroit as well. And maybe a lot of it is because it it feels like everybody there is under an NDA and like nothing is getting out. Like there's no, like, C. Wiseman is like the, the new Lula Amarillo and no information is, is getting out of the organization whatsoever. I wonder about, uh, we'll end on this one. I wonder about Dylan Larkin. Now, Dylan Larkin's got one more year left on term. You know, where if you're Dylan Larkin, you look at this team and you say, how close are they to being a better team or a team that competes for a playoff spot? And how old will I be when that happens? Now, Dylan Larkin's only 25 years old. But, you know, I wonder if, if Dylan Larkin says, you know, I want to test the market after this season. You know, what's the decision that Detroit does? And I'll tell you, I've, again, this is only me wondering. I'm not reporting any, I've, I'm just wondering. You know, if Nazem Kadri goes somewhere else and leaves Colorado at the end of the season, prices himself out, you know, I I wonder about Dylan Larkin in Colorado replacing oh my that, gosh. that 2C position, right? Knowing how the premium is on skating in Colorado. Anyway, apropos of nothing, that's, that's the one thing that I wonder about there, how much the Dylan Larkin decision affects what happens with Steve Eisenman in the next couple of moves. Yeah, I mean he's he's clearly he's the captain. He's the he's the main guy there. Um, the one thing I really like about that team too is even with Dylan Larkin as the quote unquote veteran on that team, he's mm-hmm. age appropriate. They have a lot of age appropriate guys. They brought in, you know, veteran guys the last few years that aren't that you know they're just simply not going to be there when this team has the opportunity to turn it around. But it's it's good for the time being. But I, I look at a couple teams where I thought this past season and what success Edmonton had, although it didn't look very promising at some points, this was huge. I thought coming into this season, if if Edmonton didn't show something substantial about being better or getting better, 
yeah. that there was going to be some very, very tough and awkward conversations between 97 and that team this summer. You so know what? Hang on. What this, this, is, this is for a huge, I can't wait to do this. This is for a huge conversation. I'm, I'm glad you're, you've sort of hinted at this. We've only like 30 seconds left here. Uh, that's why I, I apologize for jumping in. I don't know that I wonder about 97 as much as I wonder about 29. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a fair point. But what I do know and what I've heard and from talking to people, they love Jay Woodcroft. So yes. this hire, this hire, the fact that they did what they did in the playoffs, it bought them time. And and they still need to keep moving it forward. So anyway, that's my thing there. So I, I think we get to these points where I think New Jersey Devils are in a year this year where – we need competitive hockey all the way through 82 games. We might not make the playoffs, but we need to play meaningful hockey through 82. If not, probably big changes there. Detroit, same thing. If they're not playing meaningful hockey towards that time or at least competing for a playoff spot, I think there could be some really tough stuff in, in Detroit there about which, which, yep. which direction they're going to kind of go with some players. We shall see. Uh, that, to me, is maybe the most fascinating market right now in the uh, in the offseason. Rupert, you're always full value. Thanks as always, pal. You uh, enjoy game four, and we'll catch up soon. All right, three is Mike Rupp. Merrick Show, back on the air in moments. Breaking down everything in Leafsland better than anyone. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the program here Monday to Friday, starting at noon Eastern at 9 Pacific. Jeff Merrick along with you as always. Uh, I want to thank Greg Wyshynski from ESPN for stopping by. We turn our attention now to the Seattle Kraken organization and specifically uh, their brand new AHL affiliate, the Coachella Valley Firebirds uh, named Dan Bilesma as their head coach recently. Uh, Dan joins me now. Dan, thanks so much for doing this. How are you today? I'm great, Jeff. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing good. First of all, congr- congratulations. Um, I mean, you and I have spoken before about head coaching NHL, head coaching uh, AHL, you know, my fondness for the uh, the American Hockey League. Uh, I am curious um, why this was attractive to you. Like, I know you worked with, you know, the uh, in Charlotte, the AHL affiliate, a joint affiliation that Seattle had um, last season. But why was this position specifically attractive to Dan Bilesma right now? Well, I, th- I think, uh, to, to be quite frank and honest, I, I, I got the opportunity to be in Charlotte last year with uh, uh, the Florida Panthers, Charlotte Checkers, and the Seattle Kraken coming together for, for Charlotte to be the, the American League development team for, for both those franchises. So we got Seattle players to go there, but uh, it was a great chance for me to to get back into coaching, coaching uh, young men on a on a development level and uh, also a development level for myself and growing how I want to coach the game and and it was truly energizing. Had a great time uh, coaching those guys up, coaching the Charlotte Checkers and um, kind of the natural step for me was to to follow those uh, players in in the franchise to to the Coachella Valley and, and the farm team in the American League. You know, and I know a lot of people are excited about uh, about having that market uh, in the American Hockey League. Um, from a personal point of view, I mean, you've played in the American Hockey League. 
you've coached uh, the American Hockey League and now getting a peek under the hood last season uh, with the American Hockey League and now taking over in the head coaching capacity. You know, if you take us all the way back to when you first played uh, a game in, in Rochester in 92-93 uh, in the American oh. Hockey League, how different is it now, Dan? Oh, you're... You're digging up a lifetime ago uh, and a, almost a completely different person. That was a 94, <laughs> I think, and I was uh, getting called up from the East Coast Hockey League to play my first American League game, and I'm pretty sure it was in Hamilton, hmm. um, as I recall, although my memory's foggy. It was with Rochester and Hamilton, and I had the number 35, which was the jersey they brought on the road to give to who might need it, uh, a goalie number, just yep. in case, and and uh, played my first American League Hockey League game. But it's, um, you know, it, it's we, uh, I jokingly say it's the world's fastest game and it's the second highest level. It's uh, it's great hockey, got a lot of hungry. Uh, prospects a lot of hungry people trying to get their way to the national hockey league and they have a a desire and an energy to to make those improvements and it and it makes for it makes for great great hockey um competitive hockey and and uh one that uh said last year i was truly energized by the 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 passion and the desire and the and the work of the guys uh last year in charlotte to to that's that's uh was for me a, a place i wanted to coach you know, I'm sure, Dan, that you've seen plenty of uh, examples uh, in the NHL where a player gets drafted and rushed into the NHL and either spends no time in the American League or very little time in the American League. And, you know, I'm sure as a coach, you look at the situation, you say, ah, if only they would have, you know, left them there for one season or half a season or, or whatever it may be. Uh, I'm curious about Seattle. So this is, you know, this was the expansion year uh, for the Seattle Kraken, um, and now they have their own uh, AHL affiliate. In your conversations with General Manager Ron Francis of Seattle, you know, what what's the plan for the AHL affiliate here? Well, I think you know, just talking about the, the you're referencing players that stay in the national hockey or get to go to the national hockey right from draft to 18 years old and, and get to go to play in the national hockey. Those are a few and far between. Um, you know, it's easy to say Connor McDavid should never play in, in the American hockey league. That's, that's sure. an easy one for everyone to talk about, but for pretty much everybody else, um, the American hockey league is a, a great place to go and develop your game, develop as an individual, develop as a, as a player and a person and, and then make the step to the national hockey league. And, and, um, and speaking with Ron, uh, you know, a key part for the Seattle organization is basically started from scratch last year, had the expansion draft and one amateur draft, but we, it's, it's necessarily, and it's, it's huge for the organization to develop the players that we have drafted that we're going to draft this upcoming year and develop them into being National Hockey League players. And so that's kind of a, a real intriguing part of getting to be the coach of the American League team. I, I think it's it's an underrated position in the organization mm-hmm. as far as it, because it's super important to draft good players, draft good people, draft Seattle Kraken-type players, and then develop them in the organization so that they can be National Hockey League players one day. And it's, you know, you 
talk about how great a league the American Hockey League is in terms of development. You're looking at players like, um, you know, virtually most of the most of the Tampa Bay Lightning are players that played in the American Hockey League, developed under the in the American yep. Hockey League. They developed under John Cooper, and, and both together they've gone on to the National Hockey League and they've had great success. Kucherov, he's one of the best players in the National Hockey League, developed in the American Hockey League, Palat. Yep. Yeah, and you can go down the list of the players that they've had up through their system, um, developed and in the American Hockey League and gone on to, to great careers in the National Hockey League. And so that is really the the primary focus and the goal of uh, the Seattle Kraken, um, you know, with the players and the, and the, the guys that are going to be drafted, have been drafted, but uh, uh, are going to be drafted this year and going to Coachella. You know, I'm always curious as well when you uh, when you face that moment and and you will where the because you have a natural inclination to win. Like, listen, you've been involved in hockey your entire life, and the drive to win is a big one. Whether you're a player or whether you're a coach, you know that inevitable moment where you know you you want to win a game, but you're in a situation where okay, I can really help this kid's development by putting him in this position. But if I put a veteran in this position, it gives us a better chance to win. Like, you know what I'm getting at? Like, there, there's going to be a yeah, moment. Absolutely. There are going to be moments where it's like, okay, I really need, I really want to win here. That's my drive. But I need to think in the back of my head, this team needs to develop and develop players for the NHL. Like, how do you, I'm just curious, how do you navigate that, Dan? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's really the challenge of, of the American Hockey League coaches is, um, it, your charge is to develop the players. Your charge is to, to uh, you know, produce National Hockey League players. But I think that can only be done and appropriately be done in a competitive environment and in a winning environment. I don't think you you can develop uh, in a laissez-faire, come see, come saw. You know, we'll just put everyone on the ice. We'll get our touches and and develop a player. I think part of development is well, this is a winning game and a winning sport, and we're all judged on wins and losses. But the development part is a big piece of that is doing it in a competitive and doing it in a winning culture and a winning environment. So you you need you need uh, all types, you need all stages of development in your players, and players have to be grow into those into those spots, and but they have to be put in those spots in a, in a competitive and winning culture and a winning environment. And that's, you know, the, you do, you just don't do that by throwing uh, everybody out the door and yeah. call them back in and then put out the next group. You, it has to be done in a competitive, uh, in a, in a winning culture. So it's, that's, I think that's the great thing about the American hockey league is you get, you get a chance to do that with, uh, with some younger players. You know, for the longest time, the um, the belief about the American Hockey League was that's where players go. You know, before they get to the NHL, that's where they go to learn how to play defensively, to learn how to play the other side of the puck. Is that still true about the American Hockey League? I, I you know, I think I think that's a big part of development of players. Um, they have to become two hundred foot players. They have to be good on both sides of the puck but i think really the contrary i think it the american hockey league is a a level they get to 
they're they're allowed to make mistakes in in the pursuit of of offense. They're allowed to show their skill. They're allowed to and and learn that in uh, you know maybe not as a, a high stakes game as the National Hockey League is. So I I think it's maybe more the opposite. It's a it's a place where they can learn to be offensive and learn to use their skill and learn to play the game with pace and, uh, and have offense on it and not necessarily choke it out of them by saying, okay, we all have to play defense to, <laughs> so you can be a better national hockey league player. So we, uh, we very much look forward to seeing this organization, the American hockey league. Uh, great to see you behind the bench in a head coaching uh, capacity. Uh, Jack Adams award winner, uh, Stanley cup champion. will be great to see you behind the bench uh, as a head coach next season. Dan, thanks as always for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Jeff, appreciate it myself. Thank you. There he is, Dan Bilesma, who is the uh, the newly minted head coach uh, of the Coachella Valley Firebirds. Uh, that is the AHL affiliate for the Seattle Kraken. Um, and it is always good. I'm not trying to say anything here, report anything, but it's always good when you have as many coaches with NHL experience in your organization as possible, specifically ones that have won, as I mentioned, the Jack Adams Trophy, uh, and ones that have won the Stanley Cup uh, before. Uh, Dan, of course, with the with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And by the way, that season, and I've talked to Dan about this before publicly about um, that HBO twenty four seven series. Like in when when the book is written about this era of of hockey. And they call it the salary cap era or whatever. You know, the NHL taking, you know, strides and moving into a new generation of uh, of entertainment to say nothing of how the game is played. I think that first HBO 24-7 Road to the Winter Classic series, which was the unedited, or at least it seemed unedited, unfiltered, however you want to describe it, um, series with Dan Bilesman and Bruce Boudreaux, that's going to go down as one of those changing moments for the NHL where they finally let go and, you know, allowed the real peak behind the curtain and everybody was shown warts or chicken wing sauce and all. And Dan Bilesman was right in the middle of it and I've joked with him before. To me, one of the interesting things was watching Bilesman with the Pittsburgh Penguins take one-timers and it was like the the pucks were, were flipping over. It was like, NHL Gary Bettman, NHL Gary Bettman, NHL Gary Bettman. And that's a guy I used to see killing penalties with Ian LaPerriere in Los Angeles. That's Dan Bilesma. Uh, I want to thank Dan for stopping by. I wish him all the success in the world with the Coachella Valley Firebirds, the AHL affiliate for the Seattle Kraken. I want to thank Greg Wyshynski from ESPN, Mike Rupp from the NHL Network, and Elliot Friedman from Hockey Night, all for stopping by today. Don't forget, tonight, 8 o'clock Eastern on Sportsnet and CBC. It's game four, folks. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning look to even things up with the Colorado Avalanche at Amelie Arena. Pre-game 7.30, puck drops just after 8. Enjoy it. Merrick show back tomorrow, noon Eastern, 9 Pacific.